to be able to preach this morning. Uh, I want to start with a scripture from Ephesians 6, a well-known scripture. Many of us would have learned this or read this when we were when we were out with the kids, when we were kids. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, so we, we, we're at war. We're not fighting a war like physical people in front of us, but we are at war. And um, there are rulers, there are authorities, there are powers of the dark world, and there are spiritual forces in the evil uh, spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, because we're, we're in this war and we are, we are fighting, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then 2 Corinthians, it says, uh, Though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to to Christ, and so we can see here that there are um, there's there is a war on, there is a battle on. We're in it, whether we like it or not. Uh, we are involved, and largely the battle is in our mind. We can see here that we demolish arguments; those are things which run around in our heads, and and obviously get expressed. We uh, we demolish pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. These are things which pretend to be truth but are not. Um, and are specifically there to set them, they set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Um, and obviously the thoughts are in our minds. And uh, in Ephesians we, we read, the devil sends, so we, we have the shield of faith with, which can extinguish flaming arrows that the devil sends our way. So the devil sends flaming arrows our way. And from Corinthians we understand that those things are things in our mind. There is a war on in our minds. And um, the devil has some flaming arrows in his arsenal. Now, the, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is that the devil has been practicing for a long, long time uh, as to how best to send these flaming arrows. The good news is that he is not creative at all. So uh, he doesn't create new things. He doesn't really have to because humans kind of keep falling for the same things. But if we can learn how to deal with the flaming arrows that the devil sends, uh, we're in a good position because he's, he's only got a limited arsenal. He's good at them, but uh, he's not going to create too many new ones. Last week, Ant spoke about frustration, and one of the devil's aims is to frustrate us. Um, the definition we, we heard last week was the feeling of being upset or annoyed as a result of being unable to change or achieve something. Um, and that's a flaming arrow that the devil sends our way. It makes us upset. It makes us annoyed because we can't change. We can't achieve anything. We can't move forward. We, get, we feel like we're getting held back. Um, I was doing a little bit more reading this week on, on frustration. And it says, if you continue pursuing a goal without any result, 
The frustration you feel can lead to other emotions that affect your well-being and mental health, such as loss of confidence, stress, anger, aggressive behavior, irritability, depression. Sounds just like the devil's plans for us. And, um, and uh, I think as Christians, we've got to be aware. We've got to understand the times we live in, and we've got to, have, we've got to be actually ready to go to war and well-equipped with, I mean, with, yeah, with the weapons that God has given us and the defenses that God has given us. Because otherwise, we are going to sit being attacked by the devil and being in a place of inability to, to uh, defend ourselves and inability to attack. So one of the flaming arrows is frustration, and one of the other flaming arrows I want to talk about today is anxiety. Um, now, I'm not, I don't normally kind of talk around things. Nicholas said to me, what are you preaching on? I said, anxiety. She looks at me, she says, that's different. And um, it is. And I was kind of sitting with this thing thinking, hmm, is it something, I really, there's a lot of scripture around anxiety, and there's, there's a lot I felt God had given me. And then last week, Anne spoke on frustration, and I thought, well, maybe there is a theme here. And, and uh, seeing as we're talking about flaming arrows, let's, let's talk about them and let's deal with them. One of the very first sections of Scripture that I learned off by heart when I was a young kid is this, from Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, if, uh, whatever is lovely, whatever is adm adm admirable, 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 I don't know how to say that. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, and the Bible is super clear. Do not be anxious about anything. There's, there's no ifs or buts there. It's just do not be anxious about anything. And yet, in this world and in our lives, and if we're honest in our own heads, there's many things that we can get very anxious about very quickly. Will I have enough money to buy food? Will I be able to pay my rent or my bond or my school fees or whatever, university fees or whatever, whatever it is that you're with? Will I still have a job? Will I be able to get a job? Will I get COVID? Will I find a husband or wife? Will I be able to stay married to a husband and wife if I find them? Will I be able to have children? If I have children, will they be okay? Will my parents be okay? Will I be good enough? There's just, there's many, many things that can cause anxiety in our hearts. And you can probably add to this list. I'm sure I can as well. But the interesting thing about anxiety is it always starts with, will I be able to? Or will I? Um, anxiety in many ways is like faith. Faith, we know from Hebrews 11, faith is being absolutely sure of the things we hope for and certain or having a deep conviction of those things that we, we don't yet see. Anxiety is worrying about the things we fear are going to happen and being pretty sure that we're going to have a bad future. They're kind of, it's the antithesis of faith. It's the same kind of thing. We, we ponder, we think about those things that we fear will happen to us. And, um, and, we, and, 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 and we, we convince ourselves that they are going to happen. And we spend lots of time you know, thinking about those things. Anxiety is generally about the future. We may be in a tough position now, but generally anxiety is thinking about, you know, will I be able to get out of this? Will I be able to survive this? And then 
you know, sometimes we may not even be in a bad position, but we get anxious about, you know, will, will I lose this good position that I'm in? You know, will, will, will life, you know, carry on being good or will it turn bad for me? Um, so anxiety is really about kind of thinking about the future. Both of them come from hearing. Romans 10 says this, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes from hearing the words about Jesus. Faith comes from hearing what God is saying into our lives. Faith comes from saying when God says something over our lives, we build faith. When, when God spoke over Jesus and he said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, that built faith in Jesus' life. Job chapter 3, um, we, we read this, Job has a whole bunch of terrible things happen to him. And Job says this, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Um, he had obviously thought about, he, Job was a very successful person. He had, you can go and read it, it describes all of his cattle and his sheep and his wife and his kids and describes all the different kids that he had and his beautiful house and he had this amazing farm. And, but it says that what I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me. Job obviously had pondered these things and had allowed them to, to work in his mind. When it, when it happened, it wasn't like, gee, how did that happen to me? I never thought that would happen to me. No, he said, the thing, the thing that I feared has happened. The, 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 what I've dreaded has, has come to me. Um, he was pondering these things himself, and then those things happened. So anxiety is very similar to faith. Anxiety is building, building up these thoughts and patterns of thoughts and and kind of building this picture in your mind as to what can happen, which is what the thing that you fear will happen. Faith, on the other hand, is hearing what God says over you and building, building that up and spending time meditating on that and uh, building faith that that will happen. And both of them are powerful in terms of they can affect things in our lives. So what are the, some of the signs that you are caught up or I'm caught up in anxiety? Um, Firstly, listen to how you talk. And uh, it's sometimes easier to listen to how other people talk when you, you can hear anxious words coming out of their, their mouths. Matthew twelve thirty four says this, this, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And um, I think it was Ashley Bell used to tell us, if you want to find out what's in the heart of someone, just squeeze them. It's like toothpaste. When you squeeze the toothpaste tube, whatever was in the tube is going to come out. So if, someone, if you want to know what's in someone's heart, just put them under a bit of pressure, and then that thing will come out. Then you know what's in their heart. Um, but listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Are they words that are speaking faith and hope for the future? Or are they words that are speaking anxious thoughts, communicating anxiety, talking about the things that you fear for the future? Um, and it's not that it's, it's good or bad. It's just it's good to sometimes take stock and, and just say, what is it that I speak about? And maybe ask other people. Ask your wife, ask your husband, ask good friends that you trust. When I talk, do you feel like I'm talking anxiety, communicating anxiety, or do you feel like I'm talking faith? Uh, so the first, first sign that you are caught up in anxiety is just listening to what's coming out of your mouth. Secondly, the, the inability to move forward. Sometimes we get into a place where it is tough and we're not sure what to do next. Faith, faith allows us, faith gives us the ability to take a step forward. Faith always gives you the ability to take a step forward. Anxiety paralyzes us. Anxiety 
um, kind of causes us to, to just want to do nothing. We just, anxiety says, you know, do nothing. If you do nothing, well, it's, it's, it doesn't kind of tell you what will happen, but we, we end up doing nothing. And, and have a look at your, at your life. Watch yourself. You know, do you find yourself kind of drifting towards a place of, of doing nothing? And doing nothing is not, not necessarily, you know, just lying doing nothing. But if you find yourself, you know, just spending hours watching TV or flicking through Facebook feeds or if you, can, if you can kind of boast that you've managed to binge six series in the last six weeks, you know, those are, those are generally signs that actually there's, there's anxiety in your life. Because faith, on the other hand, leads you to actually do things. Um, I wasn't going to tell the story, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway. I remember when I was at university speaking to a, a I don't know if he was a recovering drug addict or an active drug addict, but he, he was certainly lucid when he was talking to me. Um, we, were, we were having this chat, and, he, and I was saying to him, you know, what is it like being a drug addict? So he said, well, and he, he was a, you know, he was a, a, a high-capacity drug addict, shall we put it that way, a high-functioning high drug addict. He was at university, he was doing reasonably well, but he was, <laughs> he was also doing drugs. So he says, you know, you work really hard in the week, and, and you push hard, and then you you kind of come home on a Friday afternoon and you open the fridge and the fridge is empty and you think, ah, oh. and then you think, and then you just end up taking drugs and you get high and you high the whole weekend and then Monday you come down and you, um, you kind of wander into the kitchen and someone's stolen your fridge in the weekend while, while the party was happening. And he says, it just, you just feel like you're going backwards and backwards and backwards all the time. And uh, that's what anxiety is like. It just causes us to not do anything, but we end up going backwards. Um, and anxiety, the, the inability to move forward or the, the kind of the paralysis that anxiety creates um, generally leads to more anxiety because you just think, you know, at the beginning of the weekend at least I had a fridge. Now I don't even have a fridge. Um, anxiety also causes us to battle to focus. Um, and I'm sure you can probably think of a number of people who are like this. They just jump from one problem to the next. They, they tell you something and you think, okay, well, if you did this, you know, you could sort that out. But then before you even finish talking, they've jumped to another problem and they're talking about something else. And then another one and another one. Uh, Luke chapter 10, very interesting scripture. Jesus comes to the house of, of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, the two sisters are there. And, uh, and Martha, remember, if you remember the story, she was busy sorting out stuff in the kitchen, getting the meal ready. And Mary's just sitting listening to Jesus, and Martha comes in and, and asks Jesus to tell Mary to come and help her. And the Lord answers her and says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And you, generally, anxiety will cause you to focus on many different things, hop around between lots of things. It's, it, it, it has the ability to f make you feel like there's just so many things I, I need to deal with. I just don't know where to start. And sometimes you'll even hear people saying that. I just don't know where to start. There's just so many things I need to, to look at. Faith, on the other hand, is always very focused. It always has exactly the thing that you need to do next um, to get moving. So some of, the, some of the signs that we are caught up in anxiety. What weapons as Christians do we have against anxiety? And, uh, and I want to say the very first weapon we have is thankfulness. We sang that amazing song um, in, in worship, just an incredible song. Thank you for the, for, the, uh, 
for the blood applied. What an amazing, you know, Jesus, you came, you not only did you die on that cross for me, but you've applied your blood to my life. Uh, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And oftentimes uh, when we start to give thanks and we start to think about what we're thankful for, uh, life kind of very quickly comes into perspective. And uh, anxiety kind of gives you the sense of things are all going bad. Things are, things are, you know, things are just terrible. But thankfulness almost allows you to then step back and, and, and you realize actually not everything is bad. There are some things that I can be thankful for, even in the most horrific circumstances. Many of you may know this story, but if you don't, it's a, it's a classic and a wonderful story. And if you do know, it's good to be reminded. Uh, Corrie ten Boom um, and her sister Betsy were Dutch Christians who helped harbor Jews in the Second World War. Um, so they helped get many, let many Jews escape out of Germany and Holland. Um, but because of that, they were eventually caught and they went to uh, Holbrook, I think it was Holbrook, Ra- Ravensbrück rather, uh, German concentration camp. Um, and they tell the story in the book, um, The Hiding Place is the book's name. In the book, um, this is taken out of the book. In their barracks, they were shown to a series of massive square platforms stacked three levels high and placed so close together that people had to walk single file pa- uh, to pass between them. Rancid straw was scattered over the platforms, which served as communal beds for hundreds of women. Corey and Betsy found that they could not sit upright in their own platform without hitting their heads on the deck above them. They lay back, struggling against nausea that swept over them from the reeking straw. Suddenly, Corey started up, striking her head on the cross slats above. Something had bitten her leg. Flee, she cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. Descending from the platform and edging... Down a narrow aisle, they made their way to a patch of light. Here and here, another one, Corey wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us, Betsy said matter-of-factly. It took Corey a moment to realize that her sister was praying. Corey, Betsy then exclaimed excitedly, he's given us the answer. Before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. Corey checked to make sure that no guards were nearby, then drew from a pouch a small Bible she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. It was in First Thessalonians, she said, finding the passage in the feeble light. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Betty interrupted. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. <laughs> Corey stared at her incredulously. Then around at the dark, foul-smelling room. Such as, she inquired, such as being assigned here together. Corey bit her lip. Okay. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're here together. Such as what you're holding in your hands. Corey looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, agreed Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here since we packed so close. 
<laughs> that many more will hear. She looked at her sister expectantly and prodded. Corey, all right, thank you for the jammed, cramped, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betty continued on serenely. For the fleas. That was too much for Corey. She cut in on her sister. Betty, there's, there's no way. Even God can make me grateful for a flea. <laughs> Give thanks in all circumstances, Betty corrected. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. So they stood between the stacks of bunks and gave thanks for, <laughs> for fleas. Though on that occasion, Corey thought Betsy was surely wrong. As the weeks passed, Betsy's health weakened to the point that rather than needing to go out on work duty every day, she was permitted to remain in the barracks and knit socks together with other seriously ill patients. Prisoners, sorry. She was a lightning-fast knitter and usually had a daily sock quota completed by noon. As a result, she had hours each day she could spend moving from platform to platform, reading a Bible to fellow prisoners. She was able to do this undetected, as the guards never seemed to venture far into the barracks. One evening, when Corey arrived back at the barracks, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, Corey told her. You know we've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where the sleeping platforms were. Well, I found out. This afternoon, there, were, there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes. So we asked the supervisor to come and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? <laughs> Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice as she exclaimed, because of the fleas. That's what she said. This place is crawling with fleas. Corey's mind raced back to the first hour in the back. She remembered Betsy bowing her head and thanking God for the creatures <laughs> that Corey could see no use for. And... I know it's a, it, you know, it's a, it is a classic story, and it's, it is an amazing story, and, and they have this incredible testimony of how God kept them safe. But what I've found is many times as we start thanking God for the circumstances, in the, is thanking God in the circumstances that we're in, and, uh, and we just start looking. There are so many, so many incredible things that we can thank God for. Um, the Morgans have a, a and it's not, not from them, but they've kind of had this going for a long time, is when they sit around the table they ask everyone around the table, what, what was your highlight today? What is the thing that you're most grateful for today? And we started doing that. And it is amazing. You know, sometimes Gavin will have a really horrible day. And then you say, what is your highlight today? And he's like, I don't have any highlights. There's nothing in this day that was, you know, worth giving thanks for. And then you kind of prod and, and slowly it comes out. And there are things that we can give thanks for, thanks to God for. And as we thank God, there is something powerful about it. It's, uh, it's an incredible thing. God, I want to thank you. And if nothing else, we can thank Jesus that he came to this earth to die for us on the cross, that he applied his blood to our lives. And um, as we begin to thank God, it's something about, uh, you know, we enter his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. Um, thankfulness somehow opens a door and we can suddenly come into God's uh, presence. And then as we come into God's presence, we hear God's voice. Um, time in His presence is, is the second weapon that we have. So thankfulness, the first one. Time in His presence, kind of a segue from the first one. Job, we, we started earlier with Job and how Job said, the very thing that I feared has, has come to pass. Right towards the end of Job, Job chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and he said, I know, Lord, that you are all-powerful, that you can do 
everything you want. You ask how I dare question your wisdom when I'm so very ignorant. I talked about things I did not understand, about marvels too great for me to know. You told me to listen while you spoke. Amazing scripture. You told me to listen while you spoke and to try to answer your questions. In the past, I knew only what others had told me, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. So I am ashamed of all I have said and repent in dust and ashes. And Job has this amazing kind of transformation where he starts off angry with God, uh, you know, in a place of, of, of frustration, of anxiety, and, uh, and he, he challenges God, and he has all these questions for God. And then God says to him, listen to what I have to say. And then God kind of gives him a couple of questions to answer just to show him how great God is. But in that process, Job gets to a point where he says, you know, previously I, I had the second-hand knowledge of you. I'd heard what other people have said about you. Um, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. And um, out of that place, Job is able to, you know, find, find that peace. And he finds that peace even before God restores, you know, God says, the Bible says at the end of Job, God restored more, you know, far more than what Job had at the beginning. But Job finds that place of peace even before he gets to, to that, that point. And uh, Philippians 4 verse 7 says this, when we do, the, the scripture I started with, do not be anxious about anything, but in all things through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And then it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you spend time in God's presence, something happens. Sometimes God doesn't even have to say too much. God definitely doesn't have to change the circumstances. But as we spend time in His presence, like Job, we can get to a point where we say, I I knew about you, I've heard about you, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. And that thing will, the, the Bible says, transcends all understanding. Our, our brains are very good, are very clever, are very good at working stuff out. Um, we, can, we can reason things. We can look at, you know, if this happens and then this happens and then this happens, then most likely this is going to happen. And that can help build anxiety in our hearts. Um, because it's kind of the logical progression. And our understanding says, that's going to happen, and we get anxious about that. But the Bible says the peace of God transcends all understanding. It somehow bypasses our, our, our thinking. I'm, I'm someone who likes to work stuff out and reason things out, and I don't understand why other people don't do that sometimes. It frustrates me immensely. You know, People say, how does this work? And I'm like, well, I worked it out. You work it out. Just figure it out. There's YouTube now and Internet and all sorts of things. You can work stuff out. And I like to work stuff out for myself, and I like to think about stuff. And that often gets me into a place where I, I can very easily get anxious about things because I, I, I think, well, logically this is going to happen. Um, and I've learned that the peace of God, if I get into God's presence, the peace of God transcends all understanding, and it guards my heart and it guards my mind. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that your heart and your mind are guarded? And the reason is, because of anxiety. If the devil can get through those guards, he gets us to a place where we become anxious, we become paralyzed by anxiety. If our hearts and our minds are guarded, even if, our re- even if the reason has been bypassed, so we've got God's peace, which passes all understanding. It's guarding my heart, it's guarding my mind. Then God says, Pete, do this. Then I know I can do that. 
and there's a kind of a guarding of my heart and my mind. I can think clearly. I can start progressing in what God has called me to. Um, I remember we, Nicola and I had been trying to have kids for a, a long time, but when I say a long time, about 15 years. We tried everything. We wanted, we, we, when we got married, we said we want a big family. We wanted four kids at least. We were happy to have six. We were, you know, we were kind of, as many kids as, as, as we can manage, we want them. Anyway, 15 years later, still no kids. And, and I remember lying on my bed, clearly remember, um, in a house just down the road here, lying on my bed, and I was just in a very dark, anxious place. And, you know, you've tried everything. You've got all the results. You kind of know in your reasonable mind, this is, this is what's, you know, this is the outcome. These are the, this is what the results tell you. Um, you know you're getting older. You know that the, the kind of dream you've had. And I remember lying there and just saying, God, if you don't want me to have children, that's fine. But take the desire for children away. But if you want me to have a child, then you need to do something about it. And it just kind of a little bit like Job. Shut. I was, I was angry at God. I was, I was just in that angry place. And I remember lying there. And it was just like heaven opened up. And, and the peace of God came down. And I felt God literally touch me. And I just felt this kind of guarding come over my heart and over my mind. And I just, I knew that my circumstances hadn't changed, the test results hadn't changed, nothing had changed, but I knew that God had heard me and that God's peace was on me. And then it was probably about a year later that Gavin eventually did arrive, took his time. Um, (laughs) So it wasn't like at that moment suddenly we got good news. No, at that moment nothing had changed circumstantially, but I knew that I knew that I knew that God was real, that God had heard me, and this peace came down and guarded, literally guarded my heart and my mind. And, uh, you know, able to step on. And yes, now I'm living in the fruit of having a child and uh, all the other anxieties that come with that came along. But um, (laughs) sometimes it's just, we just need to be like Job. In the past, I knew only what others had told me, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. And that peace of God is something that is incredibly powerful. Um, And it's a weapon. It's a weapon against the devil's attack. And then finally, so Thanksgiving, time in His presence, just go, and, and we don't have to be, remember, Christianity is not about us being good. Christianity is about us being with God. And just like Job, I don't think Job was too fussed that Job was, was angry with him, was ranting and raving when he came into his presence. The fact that he came into his presence was what allowed God to be able to deal with him and speak to him. And then finally, faith. Faith, remember the Bible says, pick up the shield of faith, which with we can extinguish the devil's, the flaming arrows. Um, faith is not only the opposite of anxiety, it displaces anxiety, it pushes anxiety out. And, uh, and I want to say sometimes we just need to, we need to shut off those things that are building anxiety and switch on those things that build faith. Sometimes we just need to switch off the social media feed, switch off the TV, switch off the, the news, um, and switch on the Word. Sometimes it's just helpful to get into the Word. Sometimes that's quite tough. Sometimes it's good to just put on a, a, a good sermon that's going to dig into Scripture and build faith in our hearts. Faith comes from hearing, and, um, and faith helps us to move forward. Psalm 119, 
Verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. And we've often spoken about how um, the Bible doesn't say your word is a spotlight or your word is a, is a you know, it's something big. It's a lamp. It's, the, the picture is someone walking along in the pitch dark on a path with a little lamp. And the lamp doesn't tell you everything about your destination. It just tells you where the next step that you need to take is. And it's an amazing picture. And sometimes we just, that's what faith does. It just gives us that next step. It just allows us to take another step. But it allows us to keep moving and to keep going forward. And there's something about standing still that builds anxiety. There's something about when we start moving, when our hearts and our minds are guarded, and when God's Word is, is clear in us, and God says, just do this, uh, we can do it. I remember when we, we first started the church, I think I've told the story before, and, and the finances were incredibly tight, and we had all of these expenses and no money. And, um, and in that moment, you know, I, I, didn't, I literally didn't know what to do. What do you do when, you know, previously I've always kind of had a job, and I've always been able to look after myself. But when you're leading a church and you're completely reliant on people's giving, and, and people haven't given enough money to meet all the expenses, you know, and you've done all the planning, and you've worked it all out, and, and we, were just, we just didn't have money. We had a little bit of money, and we had lots of expenses. And I remember getting a, a, a pastor around in the lo- a local Joburg pastor and just saying, what do I do? Here's, here's the income. Here's the expenses. This is the money in the bank. This is how much we have to pay in the next week. Like, what do I do? So he said, well, you've got about a tenth of what you need for the next week. So, so my wisdom would be, you know, things aren't going to come right naturally. You can't kind of save yourself into success here. You can't, you, you can't kind of apply any natural wisdom, financial wisdom in this. So why don't we just trust God? So my thinking is, you know, God calls us to tithe a tenth of, of your income. So you need, almost as a faith statement, you need X, you've got one-tenth of X. Why don't you give that away as a church? Just give it away. And then you're kind of saying to God, God, I'm giving away a tenth of what you're about to give me, which is what we need. And he says, I, I don't know if that's exactly what God is saying, but I kind of feel that's what God is saying. So I'm thinking, okay, I mean, we, we can't pay those expenses anyway. Well, we can pay a tenth of them, but nothing else. So we may as well give it a, sh- give it a shot. And we did. We gave away that, that tenth. Uh, I can't remember who, who we gave it to. Probably some church who didn't even need the money. And, uh, and literally in that next week, ten times that amount came in and we were able to pay all of our expenses. And, um, and so I'd, I didn't know how we were going to get to the next step. I didn't know how we were going to get to the next month. But this was probably, how long has the church been going? So 18 years. So this was probably 15 years ago, thereabouts. Um, so 15 years later... We're still able to pay salaries. You know, we're still able to keep going as a church. Uh, it is amazing. There's no ways I could see 15 years forward from that moment. But I could see the next step. The next step is the money that's in the bank, give it away. Okay, I'll take that step. Then the next step is, hey, money comes in, now I can pay some salary. Money comes in, now we can pay rent. You know, and so we went. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Hebrews 11, by faith Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Think about it. Noah built an ark. And it wasn't small. It was enormous. You go and, go and read the, the dimensions are in, in the Bible. It was a 
for that, I mean, it's a, it's a huge, huge boat in today's terms. It was a gigantic boat in those terms, in those days. And he built it. Now, he wouldn't have started, he wouldn't have, you don't build an ark, and it says it took him a long, long time to build it. You've got to find trees, you've got to cut them down, you've got to cut the wood up, you've got to find, I don't know how they would have done it, nails, and, you know, and there's no, there's no, there was no builder's warehouse in those days to just go and order all this stuff from. There's no online like anything. So he would have, it was a long, long, slow process, but he knew God had said, there's a flood coming, build an ark. And so he had to go and, you know, start the process of building that ark. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. It's an amazing scripture. The, the, the father of our faith, God comes to him and says, go, I have an inheritance for you. Where is it, Lord? Well, I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you where to start going. Set out in this direction. Let's literally what God said, and off Abraham went. Um, God spoke to him, he received the word, and he started moving. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was, in, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. She heard the promise of God, and she was able to bear a child. Once again, you know, the, there's a process. You've got to get pregnant. You've got to kind of go through nine months of pregnancy. You've got to have this child. And then we know the child is Isaac. And she wouldn't have been able to look forward. You know, God had promised Abraham that your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, you know. And, and here you are, you don't even have a single child, <laughs> never mind all of this. And then Sarah, by faith, believed that she could fall pregnant, go through the pregnancy, have a child, raise that child, you know, a single child. And then that child, we know, had um, Jacob and Esau, and, and the story went on. Um, but there's no way she would have seen all of that down, down history. Um, she just knew what the next step was. By faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king of Egypt was killing Jewish boys. And they, imagine, you know that everyone is looking out for Jewish boys. A little cry, a little peep, you know. You go to the shop to buy a formula. They want to know, is it for a girl or a boy? You know, it's just imagine the pressure of hiding a child for three months. And, and scheming and planning and the anxiety. But by faith they did it because they knew that there was something on this child. They, they, there was no ways they could have figured out that Moses is going to grow up. And, you know, the whole, you know, all the story of Moses, lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. You know, all, all the way from there, all the way through to history today, we still have the, the nation of Israel. It's still in the same place that Moses led the people to. It's an incredible, incredible story. All they knew is, God, what do we do? Hide your baby boy. Hide him so he doesn't get killed. Okay, we can do that. And we know the story. They eventually built a little basket out of bulrushes and tar and, you know, the rest is history. But they did what they could do. So faith is this incredible thing. Faith gives us the ability to take the next step. And we don't know where it's going to lead us to, but it always seems to lead us along a road that uh, God has planned for us. And it always has a much, much bigger outcome than we think it is. Somehow, a faith step is an incredibly powerful step. There's many things that I've done in my life that I can't even remember doing them. You know, you, you sometimes, I'm sure like you, on my phone it pops up, on this day 14 years ago. And then you look at that and you think, what the heck was I doing 14 years ago? And what was the relevance of that? And why did I do that? And it meant nothing. But somehow I know the steps I've taken in faith have led to just amazing things. And so, learn to take those steps in faith.
Um, just one little thing. I'm going to drop in there. I'm running out of time, and I'll conclude with, with now. But in those, in those tough moments, like with Moses, they were in a tough moment. Use those times. Oftentimes, God will speak most clearly to us because he's setting us on a path. Um, use those times to hear God and to build faith. There's many, you know, the, the lessons that we've learned as a couple haven't come from the happy times, generally. They've come from the tough times, the times where we've had to make those faith steps. Um, and we see how those set us on a path. And they put patterns in our lives. Those really are the times to learn, to learn the patterns that are going to keep you on track. Let me conclude with this. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and uh, I just want to kind of pause there and say that, we, you know, we're really not on our own. There are, the Bible speaks about this cloud of witnesses, the people who've gone ahead of us, who are kind of the pictures, they're cheering us on. They want us to make the, the right decisions around us. They don't want us to get stuck in the paralysis of anxiety. They want us to be taking steps of faith. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And the picture here really is, a, is, a, is of us being held back, held kind of stopped from moving by all of this weight and uh, frustration and anxiety. The Bible says, throw that all off and let us run with perseverance the, mark, the race marked out for us. And that's what God has called us to do, to move forward, to step forward, to take those steps and run. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then listen to this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Or the, the, so Jesus, Jesus established our faith and he perfects our faith. And uh, all the way back to the beginning, it says, pick up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the, flames, the, the flaming darts of the enemy. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author, some translations, the person who created our faith and the perfecter of our faith. And, um, and that's all we, all, all we really need to do uh, is fix our eyes on Jesus. And fixing, fixing your eyes on something kind of implies purpose, implies action, implies I've got to do something. It's, a, it's, a, it's very intentional and... Um, and if you think about, you know, the, the person is, who's anxious, you know, Mary, Mary, you are anxious about so many different things. The writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, just on that one thing. Uh, Os Guinness says, the only audience we should ever worry about is the audience of one. Um, we shouldn't be listening to all of those other voices. We should be fixing our eyes on Jesus, who not only has authored our faith, has given us faith, but perfects our faith as well and allows us to take these steps. And, uh, and I know it's, it's been tough and we've, we've had to deal with some tough situations through this time of COVID and, and, and there, are, there are realities of it. People have died. People we know have died. People we know have got really, really sick. Uh, people have lost their jobs. People have lost businesses. Um, but, you know, those are, those are just circumstances. And yes, I don't want to diminish those circumstances. I don't want to say that those circumstances are, are not real and that they are not tough and it's not incredibly difficult sometimes to know what to do in those circumstances. But the reality is, even in really, really tough circumstances, we have a choice to make. Do we, do we get paralyzed by anxiety 
Or do we fix our eyes on Jesus, who has both authored and is perfecting our faith? And do we start running this race that has been marked out for us? The race is marked out for us. And yes, maybe it's going through a, a bit of a weird set of bends at the moment and a, a, an interesting time. But it's still marked out for us. And Jesus still has got steps for us to take through this race. As long as we fix our eyes on Him. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that Ephesians says that we have been created in Christ Jesus. And the, the word there is, is someone who puts together a, a masterpiece, someone who puts together the most incredible work of art. Um, but it's deeper than that. It's kind of a functioning, beautiful thing, a thing which is designed to do specific things, a thing that is beautiful, a thing that has complexity and intricacy and, um, and, and function and beauty. And Father, I thank you that when you, when you created us, your word says that you knitted us together in our mother's wombs. There was such a sense of purpose in terms of putting us together. And it says that you created us to do good works, which you have prepared in advance for us to do. So not only are we created by you with a whole range of of skills and abilities and this incredible masterpiece, work of art. But you have also prepared works for us to walk, uh, works for us to do, things that you've prepared in advance. You've put people and situations and circumstances in place in order for us to be able to walk in those things. And I pray that this morning we would be two things, Lord. I pray that one, just the that heaven would open over us and that peace of God which passes all understanding would come and guard our hearts and our minds as we bring the things that are making us anxious to you. And secondly, I pray that your word would come and your word, we'd, be, we'd hear it, we would believe it, and we would act on it. And that we would do the things that you have prepared in advance for us to do. And as we do them, we would build confidence and we would be able to hear you more clearly and we'd be able to walk further along this path that you planned and prepared for us. And I thank you, Lord, that you have never, you never designed us to, to live in anxiety. You said, don't be anxious about anything. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to live in that, to be a people who are not anxious, not naive and, and just kind of trying to just ignore things, but really the people who found your peace, who have our hearts and our minds guarded, you're able to pick up that shield of faith and able to take the steps that we need to take to, uh, to live the life that you called us to live. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.